turn to God's Word now and to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29 through to verse 39. Mark 1, verse 29 to 39. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, They said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. He was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Let's come before our Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we have a friend in the Lord Jesus Christ. To use such a phrase seems so wrong in so many ways because you are so much more than just a friend. And yet, Lord, that is the closeness with which you would have us address you. Lord, we ask this morning that as our friend, you would be pleased to pour forth your Holy Spirit not only into our hearts, but into our gathering, that children in Sunday school and we here may know that God is speaking and addressing our hearts. The God of all comfort has words to say to us today that remain the same yesterday and today and forever. Lord, may you comfort us thus. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. We continue looking at Mark's gospel. When I heard the news on Thursday, I considered changing what I was going to say in the light of the circumstances because these events are so historical. We will not see this happen. A queen reigning for over 70 years and one who has so clearly spoken of Jesus to us at the times and in the way she's been allowed She has taken her opportunities to do so. And so I thought for a moment or two about changing what I had already got in mind and been preparing. Yet the word this morning seems to be so fitting to fit with what has been said of her life repeatedly since Thursday particularly. We find in Mark's gospel that the next morning something happened. As we look back we realize that Jesus had been very busy the night before. How late it was that the last person left the door of Simon Andrew's home, we do not read. 
and we do not know. But when Simon and Andrew and the other disciples wake up the next morning, they surely expected to find before them a very tired Jesus. The amount of energy that had been involved. People often think that a person who just speaks or or does these things, it just is quite easy. And they forget the mental strain that there can be in conversing and helping and speaking to individuals. Here is one not only involved in the mental strain of the work, but the spiritual work. And this is even more tiring upon a person. And yet when they awake, they find that Jesus is not there. He has priorities in his life that they did not know about, it appears, until this point. This past Thursday, as the Queen passed away, she concluded a lifetime of service, one which she vowed to do, and she was going to take it to the very end. And as we saw a picture on Tuesday, that was exactly what the Queen was enabled to do. In her 90th year, though, she was involved with a publication uh, put together by the Bible Society, and she was involved personally with it, about her life and her long life and her rule. She spoke within that of the king whom she served. She made it clear that there were priorities in her life that went beyond simply doing her duty. And as an example, it would be fitting for us to follow such examples of ones who point to the fact that they are following another king and they are in his service. God has ordained this morning, before we ever knew what we were becoming to, consider the fact of following the priorities of Jesus. In this connection, we find within this passage then Jesus' priorities. And as we think of our own lives, it is in the light of this we think about Jesus being prioritized in our lives. First, the priorities of Jesus, there are three of them within these verses that we find following the events that happened in Capernaum the night before. The first of them we find is Jesus' personal priority was prayer. Even though the night before had been filled with activity, Before the sun had even arisen, Jesus left his resting place and sought out a place to be alone. It was his first activity of the day, and it appears to have been so for a very long time. One does not get up from a busy night's activity the next morning unless it has long been the pattern of one's life. That's true, isn't it? The farmer goes and he learns to milk the cattle and to do, and he gets up early in the morning and he makes his cup of tea and he goes, he gets up when he retires at the same hour. Why does he do that? Because it has been the pattern of his life for years. Jesus got up that morning, not because it was unusual, but because it was the pattern of his life. It was something that Jesus drew attention to, his his parents' attention to, as Luke records it. But when they found him in the midst of the temple, he said to them, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He had a priority, and prayer was that priority. Also, we notice that Jesus sought out a solitary place to pray. 
He sought out a place where he wasn't going to be disturbed, away from the morning routines and demands of other people, where they might be thinking about brushing their teeth or whatever they did in those days, or getting their breakfast or anything else. He was away from all other people's activities and ways. It was also so he could focus on the purpose of prayer. He simply did not go out there to say his prayers, to repeat a set of prayers he had always prayed. He went there to commune with his Father in the Spirit. He went to pray. So Jesus' personal priority, his first priority, was prayer in the midst of his day. But we're told of a second priority that Jesus spoke of himself. It was an appointed priority that was of proclamation. He said to his disciples in verse 38, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. While Jesus was praying, the sun had risen. And the disciples within the house of Simon and Andrew were waking up. And they looked to where Jesus had been laying, and they found that he was not there with them. When they did eventually find where he was, they told him, everyone's looking for you. In their minds, Jesus is famous now. We've been told already in this passage that his fame had spread throughout the region. He's famous now. And others were surely seeking him now for for healing and for help. Other people would be curious. What will he do next? But Jesus makes it clear that his focus is on another matter, a greater purpose. It's not on fame or miracle performing, but on proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. This was his focus. It was a message that he had already spoken in the synagogue of Capernaum. But the people there were not uh, wanting to heed it and hadn't really taken in what he had to say to them. So Jesus had no reason to continue to remain there. Instead, he would go forward. As he said to his disciples, this was the purpose he came for. He read in his hometown of Nazareth these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Today, he said, these things are fulfilled in your hearing. He had a great priority in his life. It was a proclamation. And that was his appointed priority. And then there is a third. Jesus' intentional priority was also discipleship. He said to his disciples, let us go into the next towns. Remember, it's only a couple of days since Jesus was speaking to these fishermen, Simon, Andrew, and James, and John. And he said to them, follow me. Now, they gladly followed him when he led them from the side of Galilee into the nearby city of Capernaum, their hometown. But Jesus had always intended that he would not simply take them back home, but he would take them much further than that, further afield. And thus, now he leads them away from their homes. Throughout the region of Galilee, they watch as his priorities at first hand. 
as the next day and the day after and the day after that and so on and so forth. Every day he gets up and he prays. And they watch him every day as he proclaims. And every day he's instructing and helping them to understand. They witness the master firsthand fishing for men. And they learn what he meant when he called them thus. Later, when Jesus returned to the Father, these same men, along with those who followed them, continued daily to imitate the priorities of Jesus. Prayer, and proclamation, and discipleship were the marks of the apostles' work. They prayed, they preached the gospel, and they made disciples. These were their priorities. And these were Jesus' priorities. Now, as we look at a life then that prioritizes Jesus' priorities, we find Jesus prioritized in that life by those who say, yes, let us go with him, as Jesus bid the disciples to follow. Jesus shows us that prayer should be a personal priority, not just a religious duty, something that should be done. Jesus deliberately went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Jesus' life reveals that it is an activity that we should purposely put into every day. We shouldn't just uh, think it's going to happen. I'll pray when I feel like it. If you approach it like that, you'll never pray. It is something that must be purposely put into every day. Just as a husband would say to his wife every day on purpose, I love you. If he didn't do that, it wouldn't be a very good long-lasting marriage, would it? He purposely does it. Why? Because he wants his wife to know that he loves her. When a person prays, why do they pray? They pray in relation to God. It's a personal matter. It's purposeful. I'm coming to meet with God in prayer. And Jesus Example directs us to the benefit of seeking God early in the day. Not thinking that a, day, a point in the day is going to turn up somehow and, and magically appear in the midst of the day and, oh, I'll, I'll get round to it at some point. But actually getting up early to pray. Jesus also draws our attention then to that solitary place. We would all benefit from a place where we will not be disturbed. It might be the strangest and most peculiar place to some people, but nevertheless, it might be the only place you might not get disturbed. For some of you, it might be the bathroom at home because it's a place you can lock the door and nobody can come in as long as you're in there on your own. It may be the garden shed. It may be the car on the drive. It might be a park bench. It could be many places. There is a benefit in being somewhere where we cannot be disturbed by the morning routines and demands of other people. Now, there is an exception to what I'm saying here. I don't know of a parent who is carrying out their duties who can fulfill what I've just stated in the first five years of their child's life. I think that's fair. What mother, after having had a sleepless night or father having a sleepless night with a child, can wake up in the morning bright and bushy-tailed, turn to prayer, and then begin to go to the duties... It just Life just doesn't work out like that with a toddler and a baby, does it? Nevertheless, the principle remains. And when 
the time of a child's growing up and life returns to whatever normal is these days, these things are beneficial. Not only do we need communion with our Lord, but our children need our prayers, most certainly in these days. A place where we can have no distractions. A place where we can freely pray without being conscious of other people around us. Because, my dear friends, you don't need a special voice to pray. And you don't need special words or special language. You just need to speak to God, to be yourself. And if somebody, you think somebody else is nearby or somebody else is close, you, you might be tempted to bring out words that you just wouldn't use ordinarily. Or try to pretend that you are somehow more acquainted with the Bible than you really are. God's not looking for that. He knows who you are. So if you are somewhere alone, you don't need to be conscious about what other people think of your prayers, what other people think of you praying. You can concentrate on what you're there for. You are there to commune with God. God, the Son, who mediates our prayers. The Father, who heeds our prayers. The Spirit, who inspires and is the means of many of the answers of our prayers. We commune with God. It's an awesome thing. And yet a child can do this, as Jesus shows surely in his life. Did you not know I would be about my father's business? So is prayer a priority in your life? Do you prioritize what Jesus prioritized? Jesus also told us that proclamation is our appointed priority. He said, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I've come forth. Until the disciples found Jesus, they may well have been imagining all kinds of things that what, about what Jesus would do. He could do great things here now. Imagine the t-shirts he could sell. The mugs, the cups. Well, that's this age, isn't it? The fame that could be garnered if only these miracles continued on. The people that would come. Now, Jesus did last night's for, for free. Imagine if he charged. These are the kind of things that would go through the minds of people today. They may in part, have gone through those men's minds. I hope not. I hope it's more the cruelty of our age that turns our minds in those directions. There are many who think in that way. Jesus could do this. The greater miracles he could perform, the people he could help. The doctors would be unemployed. The, The medical profession could take a holiday and have a break if Jesus continued on. But Jesus had a greater purpose. He wanted to proclaim the gospel. And we are reminded here, there will always be some people who are drawn to Jesus for the wrong reason. They will be drawn to Jesus while he is popular, while he is considered important or or famous. They will be drawn to churches when they become famous. They will be drawn to this church because of its worship or its sound or whatever else. There will always be people who are drawn to Jesus for the wrong reasons. Along with this, there will always be the temptation to give people what they would like or what they would want for the sake of a better reputation. Jesus, if you perform more miracles at this point, these people will just love you. Imagine the welcome you'll get. Jesus has another priority. 
He focused his disciples on proclamation. He shows us it's not fame or performing wonders, which ought to be our focus, rather proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. A message which Jesus leads us to see that God wants taken to people everywhere. This is where Jesus spoke to the disciples at the beginning of his ministry about going to other people. At the end of his ministry, of course, he said to them, you will go into all the world and preach the gospel. This was his priority. and He wants it to be our priority. Because although you could heal many people who are in need, what about the people who don't appear to have any physical need? What about the people who've got the money and got the wealth and got the nice house and all of these things? Are they okay? The Bible is clear. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Rich or poor, wealthy, educated, benefited in life, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. If we only heal, if we only garner the fame, we fail to reach those that God may want the gospel taken to. Who would think that a queen upon a throne with all the houses she had and all the grounds and all the wealth and all the things of benefit would do, would say of herself, he's the king of my serf. If you have taken the gospel to her, if you were only thinking of fame and healing, you might have reason to do in part, but not truly. The gospel is needed by all. And the same spirit that rested on Jesus as he took the gospel, as he spoke of Isaiah saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, is the same spirit that abides in the Christian's heart. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Those men began in Jerusalem. They would go to Judea and Samaria. They never reached the far reaches of the globe. Even today, there are many places where men and women have yet to hear of the gospel, to have the Bible in their own mother tongue, be able to read for themselves the wonder of what Jesus has done. The need is there to proclaim. And Jesus leads us to make the intentional priority an intentional priority of discipleship. Let us go to the next towns. As Jesus took his disciples back to their hometown, even their home, it's often that place where Jesus begins in our lives. We have to go home and and face our family and admit and tell them what Jesus has done in us. He has become our Savior, and we intend to follow him in our lives and be led by him. It's home where that begins. But it's never where it ends. Although few of us will travel as far afield as these fishermen, although some of you have come from great distances to be here today in the providence of God, Jesus does lead us to those all around us. He takes us to our work. He takes us to our shop. He takes us to the park. He takes us on holiday. Everywhere we go, there are people who need to hear the gospel. You will not spend one day of this life where you will not meet people who need to hear the gospel. 
You might say, oh, church, maybe that's the place we don't need. No, that's the place we need to hear it most. We need to be reminded. We are not saved by being in this place or anything we do. We are saved by the grace of God. Because we all come bowed down by sin. Everywhere we go, there are people that God wants the gospel communicated to. Now, here's a challenge. As those who have followed Jesus for a long time, and some of you have, are you examples of those who have learned from Jesus how to fish? If you're a disciple of Jesus, you've been taught by him to pray. You have been encouraged by him to preach, to proclaim the gospel, to share your testimony, to share simply who Jesus is. Could others look at you and say, yes, that's a disciple of Jesus, because they're fishing for men. We don't all do it all the time. We do it in different ways as the God, Lord God gifts us and gives us abilities. But is it a priority we think of? With our children, our grandchildren, do they think of us as a person who serves the Lord Jesus Christ in our priorities? Can they true, we truly say that Jesus' priorities are ours? The first disciples made the imitation of Jesus the priorities of their priority. His priorities became their priority. They watched him get up early in the morning. They got up early in the morning to pray. They watched him proclaim the gospel. They learned to proclaim the gospel. And they watched, experienced him make them disciples, and they made disciples. It wasn't a quick process. It was a slow process over much of their life as God continued to work. We think on these things and we bring it to a conclusion. This phrase, the king whom I serve, been very much on my mind over these days. He was preaching in, all their, in their synagogues throughout all Galilee. This was the pattern now of his ministry. For three years, he would preach and share the gospel. Yes, he would perform many wonders, as we will see, and many great things would be done, but this was the greatest of them all, for it changed men and women's hearts and lives. Now, it was evident in the words and testimony of our queen, that she saw her life as a service of the king of kings. She spoke of the vows she had made on the day of her, uh, when she became queen, when coronation. And she made those vows. She meant every word, it seems, of what she said and understood them. In other words, as she spoke of being in service of the king of kings, she made Jesus' priorities in her own way her own. And if that is the legacy we remember from her life, then praise God for it. We should continue to pray that God would speak to her family and close friends as she led them to follow the king, her king, her true king. We also should pray. We have the privilege of having a national anthem. I think it's better than any national anthem in the world because it asks God to save. What greater thing could you ask for a nation than for God to save? We should ask God to save our king, Charles III, in a manner that demonstrated through his mother, he appears to have done for his mother. And likewise, 
the priorities we have seen in evidence in others are to be our priorities. Prayer, proclamation, and discipleship. May God bring the news of his salvation to our families and to our friends, to our colleagues, to our acquaintances, and to the strangers we have not yet met. For the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may Jesus Christ be the King whom you serve. Pray. Oh God, this is a, a monumental time in history. We thank you, Lord, that our eyes are not fixed upon the gloom of our world, but our eyes are looking towards you. And you have not left us with any out indication of what we are to make the priorities of our life, but you have made it very clear. We will say, and honestly, Lord, we have not been good at upholding these priorities in any of our lives to any real effect or continuation. But Lord, we thank you that you still bear with us. Thank you, Lord, for those who've found themselves so occupied with life that they have been unable to pray that you have remained open with an open ear to hear everything that they have uttered and everything they should have uttered. And Lord, you have still answered their needs. We thank you, Lord, that when those times pass, we find you to be still the God who loves us and forgives, does not treat us as our sins deserve, but according to the abundance of his grace. For our Father's ear is never deaf to his children, but he hears every cry. And Lord, thank you for your answers to prayer. But Lord, may we delight not simply in getting answers to prayer, but in the God with whom we commune. That Lord, you may speak to us as we pray, that you would lead our praying. And Lord, that we, would know the strength and enabling for every day as we commit it all into your hands. Lord, help us too as we seek to make a priority of sharing the gospel. There are no experts at sharing the gospel. But Lord, we thank you the gospel is simple. It is straightforward. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We know the means he used to enter our human frailty, to become man and dwell amongst us, to make himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, he went to the cross in order to bear away our sins in his body and rise again that we may know his forgiveness. And he is seated at the right hand of majesty today where he is waiting till his enemies are made his footstool and he will return again for all who have known and loved him. Lord, help us to share this gospel. We are embarrassed. There are people around us every day who need to hear this message. There are people, Lord, who at this time, shaken by the events that have taken place in this past week, and they have nowhere to turn when we have a friend in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to share the gospel. Help us especially, Lord, to share it with those who are closest to us. Those that we may be most embarrassed to tell that we are a Christian. Help us, Lord, to speak 
lovingly to them and to share your love with them. Help us, Lord, also to encourage others to follow you. Oh, Lord, not to follow us, but, Lord, to follow you, to become your disciples, that the priorities of Jesus' life may become their priorities. And we pray that, Lord, for the children who've been with us this morning. They come week by week, and they watch, and they listen as we worship you. Lord, may they see our discipleship in action. Lord, we love to pray, not simply to say our prayers, but because, Lord, we commune with you. And that our focus is on the priority that God has ordained for us to proclaim the gospel. Lord, may we have the joy of watching as you make them your disciples. Lord, may they pray better prayers than we have ever prayed. May they preach the gospel more powerfully than we have ever preached it. May the disciples that follow them be greater disciples than we have left in this world. Lord, that you may be glorified and honored and known amongst men. Lord, the world does not deserve to hear the gospel. Lord, you have commanded us to preach the gospel. So help us to pray. Help us to proclaim. Help us to disciple. We pray, Lord, that you will also make these priorities that are known to our King this morning. Lord, you would open the heart of Charles III to understand the one whose name he takes upon his lips over these days. To understand that you are the living God, the eternal God, and there is none other. That Jesus Christ is your Son who came and lived and died to save. The Holy Spirit does dwell in the hearts of those who know and love you. O Lord, open his heart that he may receive you and that you would truly save our King. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.